Mark, chapter 15, verse 38, through chapter 16, verse 8. Chapter 15, verses 38 through 41. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood over against him saw that he had so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on, afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him up and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Burkett notes, three circumstances are here observable. One, a stupendous prodigy happening upon the death of our Savior. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. The veil was a hanging which parted the most holy place from the holy sanctuary, by the rending of which God testified that he was now about to forsake his temple, that the ceremonial law was now abolished by the death of Christ, and that by the blood of Jesus we have access unto God and may enter into the Holy of Holies. See note on Matthew 17.51. Observe 2. What influence the manner and circumstances of our Savior's death had upon the centurion and the soldiers with him. They cry out, Verily, this was the Son of God. Where observe that the heathen soldiers are sooner convinced of the divinity of our Savior than the unbelieving Jewish doctors. Obstinacy and unbelief filled their minds with an invincible prejudice against Christ, so that neither the miracles wrought by him in his life or at his death could convince them that Christ was anything better than an impostor and deceiver. None are so blind as those who through malicious obstinacy and inveterate prejudice will not see. Observe 3. Who of Christ's friends were witnesses of his death? They are the women that followed him and ministered unto him. Not one of his dear disciples came near him, except St. John, who stood by the cross with the Virgin Mary. Oh, what a shame was this for apostles to be absent from a spectacle upon which the salvation of the whole world did depend. And what an honor it was to the female sex in general, and to these holy women in particular, that they had the courage to follow Christ to his cross when all his disciples forsook him and fled. God can make timorous and fearful women bold and courageous confessors of his truth and fortify them against the fears of suffering, contrary to the natural timorousness of their temper. These women wait upon Christ's cross when his apostles fly and durst not come nigh it. Verses 42 through 47. And now, when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought down fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulchre, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulchre. And Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Burkett notes, The circumstances of our Lord's funeral and honorable interment in the grave are here recorded by the evangelist. Such a funeral as never was, since graves were first digged. Observe one, 
our Lord's body must be begged before it could be buried, the dead bodies of malefactors being in the power and at the disposal of the judge. Pilate grants it, and accordingly, the dead body is taken down, wrapped in fine linen, and prepared for the sepulchre. Observe 3. The person that bestows this honorable burial upon our Savior, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple, no doubt, though he did not make a public and open profession, a worthy, though a close disciple. Grace doth not always make a public and open show where it is, as there is much secret riches in the bowels of the earth, which no eye ever saw, so there is much grace in the hearts of some Christians that the eye of the world takes little notice of. Some gracious persons cannot put forward and discover themselves in discourse as others, and yet such weak Christians as the world counts them perhaps shall stand their ground when stronger run away. We read of none of the apostles at Christ's funeral. Fear had chased them away. But Joseph of Arimathea appears boldly. If God strengthens the weak and leaves the strong to the prevalency of their own fears, the weak shall be as David and the strong as Toe. Observe 3. The mourners that followed our Savior's hearse, namely, the women which came out of Galilee, and particularly the two Marys, a very poor train of mourners. The apostles were all scattered and afraid of their own Lord and Master, either dying or dead. And as our Lord affected no pomp or gallantry in his life, so funeral pomp had been no way suitable, neither to the end or manner of his death. Humiliation was designed in his death, and his burial was the lowest degree of humiliation, and therefore might not be pompous. Observe 4. The grave or sepulchre in which our Lord was buried. It was in a sepulchre hewn out of rock, in a new sepulchre, in a garden. 1. Our Lord was buried in a garden. As by the sin of the first Adam we were driven out of the garden of pleasure into earthly paradise, so by the sufferings of the second Adam, who lay buried in a garden, we may hope for entrance into the heavenly paradise. 2. It was in a sepulchre hewn out of rock, that so his enemies might have no occasion to cavail and to say that his disciples stole him away by secret holes or unseen passages underground. 3. It was a new sepulchre in which never man was laid, lest his adversary should say it was some other that was risen, who was buried there before him, or that he rose by the dead by touching some other corpse. Observe 5. The manner of our Lord's funeral. It was hasty, open, and decent. It was performed in haste by reason of the straits of time. The Sabbath was approaching, and they lay all business aside to prepare for that. Learn hence, how much it is our duty to dispatch our worldly business as early as we can towards the end of the week, that we may be the better prepared to sanctify the Lord's day, if we live to enjoy it. Hence it is that we are called upon to remember that day before it comes, and to sanctify it when it comes. Again our Lord was buried openly, as well as hastily. All persons had liberty to be spectators, lest any should object that there was deceit and fraud used in or about our Savior's burial. Yet was he also interred decently, his holy body being wrapped in fine linen and perfumed with spices, according to the Jewish custom. Observe 6. The reasons why our Lord was buried, seeing he was to rise again in a short time, as other men lie by the walls. And had his dead body remained a thousand years unburied, it would have seen no corruption, having never been tainted with sin. Sin is the cause of the body's corruption. It is sin that makes our bodies stink worse than carrion when they're dead. A funeral, then, was not necessary for Christ's body, 
upon the same accounts as it was necessary for ours. But one, our Lord was buried to declare the certainty of his death and the reality of his resurrection. And for this reason did God's providence order it, that he should be embalmed to cut off all pretensions. For in this kind of embalming, his mouth, his ears, and his nostrils were filled with odors and spices, so that there could be no latent principle of life in him. His being thus buried, then, did demonstrate him to be certainly dead. 2. Christ was buried to fulfill the type and prophecies that went before concerning him. Jonas being three days and three nights in the belly of the whale was a type of Christ's being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yea, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, 9, declared our Lord's funeral and the manner of it long before he was born. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Pointing by that expression at this tomb of Joseph, who was a rich man, and laid him in a tomb designed for himself. 3. He was buried to complete his humiliation. They have brought me to the dust of death, says David, a type of Christ. This was the lowest step he could possibly descend in his abased state. Lower he could not be laid, and so low his blessed head must be laid, else he had not been humbled to the lowest degree of humiliation. For Christ went into the grave that he might conquer death in its own territories and dominions. His victory over the grave causes his saints to triumph and sing, O grave, where is thy destruction? Our dear Redeemer has perfumed the bed of the grave by his own lying in it, so that a pillow of down is not so soft to a believer's head as a pillow of dust. Observe lastly of what use the doctrine of our Lord's burial may be unto his disciples and followers. 1. For instruction. Here we see the amazing depth of our Lord's humiliation. From what and to what his love brought him, even from the bosom of his Father to the bosom of the grave. Oh, how doth the depth of his humiliation show us the sufficiency of his satisfaction, and therewith the heinousness of our transgression. 2. For consolation against the fears of death and the grave. The grave received Christ, but could not retain him. Death swallowed him up as the fish did Jonah, but quickly vomited him up again, and so shall it fare with Christ mystical, as it did with Christ personal. As it was done to the head, so shall it be done to the members. The grave could not long keep him, it shall not always keep us. As his body rested in hope, so shall ours also. And although we see corruption, we shall not always lie under the power of corruption. In short, Christ lying in the grave has changed and altered the nature of the grave. It was a prison before, a bed of rest now, a loathsome grave before, a perfumed bed now. He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his feet into the grave. Awake and sing, thou that dwellest in the dust, for the enmity of the grave is slain by Christ. 3. For our imitation, let us study and endeavor to be buried with Christ, in respect of our sin, I mean, Romans 6, 4, buried with him into death. Our sins should be as dead as a body in several respects. Our dead bodies removed out of the society of men? so should our sins be removed far from us. Do dead bodies in the grave spend and consume by degrees? So should our sins daily. Will dead bodies grow every day more and more loathsome to others? So should our sins be to ourselves. Do dead bodies wax out of memory and are quite forgotten? So should our sins also. In respect of any delight that we take in remembering of them, 
We should always remember our sins to our humiliation, but never to think or speak of them with the least delight or satisfaction, for this, in God's account, is a new commission of them, and lays us under an aggravated guilt and condemnation. Chapter 16 Burkett Notes This last chapter of St. Mark's Gospel contains the history of our Savior's resurrection and gives us an account of what he did upon earth between the time of his triumphant resurrection and his glorious ascension. Verses 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the Sepulchre at the rising of the sun. Burkett Notes The Lord of life was buried on the Friday, in the evening of that day on which he was crucified, and his holy body rested in the silent grave all the next day, and some part of the day following. Thus rose he again the third day, neither sooner nor later, not sooner, lest the truth of his death should have been questioned, that he did not die at all, and not later, lest the faith of his disciples should have failed. Accordingly, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, getting the other women together, she and they set out before day to visit the Holy Sepulchre. And about sunrising they get to it, intending, with their spices and odors, farther to embalm their Lord's body. Here observe, one, that although the hearts of these holy women did burn with an ardent zeal and affection to their crucified Lord, yet the commanded duties of the Sabbath are not omitted by them. They keep close, and silently spend that holy day in a mixture of grief and hope, a good pattern of Sabbath sanctification and worthy of our Christian imitation. Observe, too, these holy women go, but not empty-handed. She that had bestowed a costly alabaster box of ointment upon Christ while alive has prepared no less precious odors for him now dead, thereby paying their last homage to our Savior's corpse. But what need of odor to perfume a body which could not see corruption? True, this holy body did not want them, but the love and affection of his friends could not withhold them. Observe 3. How great a tribute of respect and honor is due and payable to the memory of these holy women, for their great magnanimity and courage. They followed Christ when his cowardly disciples left him. They accompanied him to the cross. They followed him to the grave, when his disciples durst not appear. And now, very early in the morning, they go to visit his sepulchre, fearing neither the darkness of the night nor the presence of the watchman. Learn hence that courage is the special gift of God, and if he gives it to the feebler sex, even to timorous and fearful women, it is not in the power of men to make them afraid. Verses 3 through 8. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he saith unto them, Be not affrightened. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Burkett Notes 
Observe here, one, with what pomp and triumph doth our Lord arise. An angel is sent from heaven to roll away the stone. But could not Christ have risen without the angel's help? Yes, doubtless. He that raised himself could surely have rolled away the stone. But God thinks it fit to send an officer from heaven to open the prison door of the grave, and by setting our surety at liberty, proclaims our debt to the divine justice fully satisfied. Besides, it was fit that the angels, who had been witnesses of our Savior's passion, should also be witnesses of his resurrection. Observe, too, our Lord's resurrection declared, He is risen, he is not here. Almighty God never intended that the darling of his soul should be left in an obscure sepulchre. He is not here, said the angel, where they had laid him, where you left him. Death has lost its prey, and the grave has lost its prisoner. Observe three, it is not said, he is not here, for he is raised, but he is risen. The word imports the active power of Christ, or the self-quickening principle by which Christ raised himself from the dead. Acts 1, 3. He showed himself alive after his passion. Hence learn that it was the divine nature or Godhead of Christ which raised the human nature from death to life. Others were raised from the grave by Christ's power, but he raised himself by his own power. Observe 4. The testimony or witness given of our Lord's resurrection, that of an angel in human shape, a young man clothed in a long white garment. But why is an angel the first publisher of our Savior's resurrection? Surely the dignity of our Lord's person and the excellency of his resurrection require that it should be thus published. How very serviceable and officious the holy angels were in attending upon our Savior in the days of his flesh. See the note on Matthew 28, 6 and 7. Observe 5. The persons to whom our Lord's resurrection was first declared and made known. To women, the two Marys. But why to women and why to these women? Why to women? Because God will make choice of weak means for producing great effects, knowing that the weakness of the instrument redounds to the greater honor of the agent. In the whole dispensation of the gospel, God intermixes divine power with human weakness. Thus, the conception of Christ was by the power of the Holy Ghost, but his mother, a poor woman, a carpenter's spouse. So the crucifixion of Christ was in much meanness and outward baseness, being crucified between two thieves, but the powers of heaven and earth trembling, the rocks rending, the graves opening, showed a mixture of divine power. Thus here, God will honor what instrument he pleases for the accomplishment of his own purposes. But why these women, the two Marys, is the first discovery made of our Savior's resurrection. Possibly it was a reward for their magnanimity and masculine courage. These women cleaved to Christ when the apostles forsook him. They assisted at his cross. They attended at his funeral. They waited at his sepulcher. These women had more courage than the apostles. Therefore, God makes them apostles to the apostles. This was a tacit rebuke, a secret check given to the apostles, that they should be thus outdone by women. These holy women went before the apostles in the last services that were done for Christ, and therefore the apostles here come after them in their rewards and comforts. Observe 6. The evidence which the angel offers to the women, to evince and prove the verity and certainty of our Savior's resurrection, namely, by an appeal to their senses. Behold the place where they laid him. 
The senses, when rightly disposed, are the proper judge of all sensible objects, and accordingly Christ himself did appeal to his disciples' senses concerning the truth of his own resurrection. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And indeed, if we must not believe our senses, we shall want the best external evidence for the proof of the certainty and truth of the Christian religion, namely, the miracles wrought by Christ and his apostles. For what assurance can we have of the reality of those miracles but from our senses? Therefore, says our Savior, if ye believe not me, yet believe the works that I do. That is, the miracles which I have wrought before your eyes. Now, as my senses tell me that Christ's miracles were true, so they assure me that the doctrine of transubstantiation is false. From the whole note, that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the omnipotent power of his Godhead, revived and rose again from the dead the third day, to the terror and consternation of his enemies, and the unspeakable joy and consolation of believers. Observe lastly, the quick dispatch made of the joyful news of our Lord's resurrection to the sorrowful disciples. Go tell the disciples, says the angel. Go tell my brethren, says Christ. Matthew 28.10. Christ might have said, Go tell those apostate apostles that cowardly left me in my danger, that durst not own me in the high priest's hall, that durst not come within the shadow of my cross, nor within sight of my sepulchre. Not a word by this way of upbraiding them for their late shameful cowardice, but all words of kindness. Go tell my brethren. Where note that Christ calls them brethren after his resurrection and exaltation thereby showing that the change of his condition had wrought no change in his affection towards his poor disciples. But those that were his brethren before, in the time of his abasement, are still so after his exaltation and advancement. Go tell my brethren, says Christ. Go tell his disciples and Peter, says the angel. Where note that St. Peter is here particularly named, not because of his primacy or superiority over the rest of the apostles, as the Church of Rome would have it, but because he had denied Christ, and for that denial was swallowed up with sorrow, and stood most in need of comfort. Therefore, says Christ by the angel, speak particularly to Peter. Be sure that his sad heart be comforted with this joyful news, that he may know that I am friends with him, notwithstanding his late cowardice. Tell the disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. But why into Galilee? Because Jerusalem was now a forsaken place, a people abandoned to destruction. But Galilee was a place where Christ's ministry was more acceptable. Such places shall be the most honored with Christ's presence, where his gospel is most accepted. <laughs>